Hello, welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello. Hello. Hello, world. This episode, we're going to be talking about book two, chapter nine, Bitter Work, or as we like to call it, Earthbending 101. That's right. Aang gets put through his paces in this episode. Can't wait. This episode was written by Aaron Ehas and directed by Ethan Spaulding. Hmm. Let's dive in, shall we? Yes, let's do it. This episode opens with early morning light streaming through a rock quarry. Team Avatar's campsite is nestled among all this rock, surrounded by sheer cliffs, multi-tiered terraces, and stone arches. It soon becomes clear why they've chosen this spot to camp, because Aang flies into frame with an excited leap. Today's the day, he exclaims. I'm finally going to start earthbending. Sokka grumbles from his sleeping bag nearby and tosses Aang an exhausted stare. Aang whispers an apology, but then the ground shakes and the slabs of Toph's earth tent explode into the air, revealing Aang's new earthbending teacher. When Sokka continues to grumble about all the noise, Toph makes a sarcastic comment about doing their earthbending as quietly as they can, but then kicks the ground and catapults his sleeping bag into the air with a pillar of rock. After landing a now very angry Sokka, (laughs) hops out of the camp, sleeping bag and all. He's also like mumbling to himself very angrily. As As Sokka does when he gets woken up. Yes. Which we saw in the last episode, too. He was very grumpy about not getting his sleep. And we also saw it, I think it was like the third episode of book one or the fourth or something, where he's just like, he does the same, like, I call it like a, a worm move where he's in a sleeping bag and he does this like inching and he like tries to crawl away. It's so funny. He loves his sleeping bag and I bet he spends so much time in it that that's why it's stinky. Yes. Also can relate to loving your sleeping bag or bed way too much and not wanting to get out. Right. It's, it's a good feeling. Yep. Yeah. Aang, very excited about starting his training, asks Toph what move they're going to start with. The Rockalanche? The Trembler? Or how about learning how to make a whirlpool out of the earth? Toph calms him down by saying, maybe they'll just start with moving a rock. (laughs) I do love how Toph explodes out of her tent. It kind of has that pro-earthbending match vibe to it, where she's the blind bandit coming up on stage. And it's like, and the blind bandit and rocks go flying. Well, you also have to keep in mind, too, that she has been the center of attention her entire life. So whether she enjoys that or I think she enjoys being the center of attention. I don't think she enjoys, obviously, from the last episode getting all of that help and like, you know, her parents are just overbearing and all this stuff. She doesn't like that, but she does like being everyone's world, which is a very weird dynamic, I think, and kind of leaves her with this team and being like, well, you're the avatar. You have all the attention. But when it's on her, she makes a big spectacle out of it and like makes a stage for her and all this stuff. Which we also kind of saw in the last episode, too, because if you think back, she was like very much leave me alone. I'm carrying my own weight. I'm just going to be over here kind of like in standby mode because she basically signed on to be Aang's earthbending teacher. The rest of the time, it's emphasis on the avatar and the team. And that's not me. I'm just over here minding my own business. But now she's able to step back into the spotlight and be the center of attention, like you said. Yes. And she doesn't even hesitate. (laughs) No, she's like, all right, we're on. I also want to point out that Aang, again, has this reaction to learning a new form of bending Mm -hmm. where he almost thinks he could just jump right in head first and just start learning advanced moves and skip over the basics. We saw him do the same thing in 
the deserter with yeah. firebending and that burned him or should I say Katara? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting is if you think about the episode, the deserter and firebending, Zhang Zhang was like, this is the most dangerous form of bending period. If you right. do not control this, it will kill you and everyone around you. And we kind of get that same feeling from Toph a little bit here where it's like, you can't just skip ahead in this one. It's very dangerous. You will crush someone alive by accident. Like, so it's, it's almost as if these two people who have not been traveling with Aang are just like, I don't know, they think that their form is just super dangerous of bending and the most dangerous form of bending, which is interesting. I do think compared to the other elements, earth and fire are the most dangerous because they can have the most effect. I mean, like you said, you can get crushed by a rock. You can get burned by fire. With water bending, unless you're like surrounding someone in ice or water and drowning them, you just kind of get wet. <laughs> I guess you could technically yeah. get like like a bruise or a rash of some kind if something if the water like slices you. If we want to get dark, you can like drown someone with it. Yeah, you can, but not on accident. That's a fair point. You have to really be trying for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, I think it's actually really cool to see the bending lessons structured the way that they are in Avatar The Last Airbender because Aang already knows air. He goes to the next easiest or least dangerous element, water, and then kind of progressively gets more and more dangerous from there. So it feels like a more clear progression. Mm. But anyway, we cut to their lesson some distance away where they're standing in front of two giant boulders. The key to earthbending is your stance, Toph instructs him. You've got to be steady and strong. Rock is a stubborn element. If you're going to move it, you've got to be like a rock yourself. She demonstrates this by striking out at her boulder while stepping into a deep horse stance. Her boulder is thrown across the ground and slams into the canyon wall. When Aang attempts to do the same thing... His boulder doesn't even budge. And instead, <laughs> he goes flying backwards and slams into a sleeping Appa. And perhaps the best part of the scene is Sokka is sitting nearby mm -hmm. in his sleeping bag still. And he's like, he's just camping out watching the show. And he's like, huh, rock beats airbender. Yeah, he's he's eating it up. I love it. I do also love how he's basically like, like you were saying, a uh, a sleeping bag caterpillar. Yes. He's just going everywhere in his sleeping bag. I mean, I don't blame him. I, I wish I could do that right now. I might. Maybe next recording, I'll just be in a sleeping bag the whole time. <laughs> the scene fades into a sepia dreamscape. Two figures play on a sunlit hill with a tree, both dressed in Fire Nation clothes. The little boy pretends to firebend at the older man, and the man goes tumbling to the ground as if hit. The little boy belly flops onto his chest, and the two laugh together as the dreamscape shifts to another day on the same hill, this one rainy and dreary. The same older man who is even older now kneels before a grave that wasn't there before. The man is Iroh. My beloved Luten, he says, I will see you again. A voice cuts through the dream and Iroh wakes to Zuko leaning over him. First of all, I was not ready for some Luten right now in my life. Especially after that like cheeky little earth bending scene. Like, yeah. come on, my heart was not ready. Secondly... This is the only voice acting thing I get to point out in two episodes. So I'm just going to oh relish it for a moment and take a deep breath <laughs> and enjoy it. Um, the voice of Luten is none other than Mae Whitman, who does the voice, as Wait, we all know. What? Yeah, the voice of Luten is Mae Whitman, who we all know is Katara, as well as she's been in many other, other things like 
I'll relish this a little bit more because I don't think we ever did casting for the main cast. I don't think um, we made we that up yet. Oh, we did make Whitman okay. once upon a time upon a forever time. ago. So I'll remind one, everyone. So go for it. Uh, she has been in Arrested Development as Anne. If you forgot about her in that, that's completely fine. Completely forgettable. She was also in Parenthood, if you haven't seen that and want to uh, emotionally sabotage yourself. I highly recommend it. And she's also <laughs> been in uh, movies like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so shocked that she does the voice of Lieutenant, which... Honestly, I can't remember what Luten sounds she like, was just so giggling. I'm looking forward. If you go oh, back okay. and watch it, that laugh just sounds like Mae Whitman. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I can't remember if we hear Luten at any other time. So I wonder I if it's only casting for like stuff like that, like giggles and... Oh, maybe. Yeah, they just had her in, in the studio. It's just like, we just need some laughs. Can you please yeah. do that? Interesting. Good to know, though. Yeah. Zuko and Iroh are hiding now in an abandoned shack near Tuzin, the town where everyone gathered in the last episode. Iroh is heavily bandaged and Zuko has done his best to make him tea. Spoiler, it's terrible. <laughs> they talk about the inevitability of running into Azula again and agree that Zuko should begin his training. He must learn more advanced firebending in order to stand a chance against her. Because as Iroh says, Azula is crazy and she needs to go down. I, I love that. Where Zuko's like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I can't fight her. She's my sister, but I must. And I was like, no, I was saying that you got to take her down. She's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Subverting expectations. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Also, the, I feel like there was something happening here in this scene that wasn't really expanded upon. I just personally thought the line that Iroh says in his dream, I will see you again. Mm-hmm. My beloved Luten, I will see you again. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's a dream sequence and it's centered around his son and Iroh is supposedly near death. I almost thought that that was one of those like going towards the white light type of scenarios where he almost subconsciously thought that he was near death and was going to go see his son oh, soon. Sure. And then yeah. he woke up and was like, I don't know, I guess fine. Well, it's also very interesting that the last thing he remembers from this near death experience, this vision, the stream, whatever you want to call it, is seeing his son. And then he wakes up to Zuko, who he considers his son as well. I do think that's poetic. Yeah. yeah, it's very nice. And it's just it makes you feel warm all over. And it's making me really not looking forward to the uh, the bossing say episode. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 <laughs> not looking forward to that. Oh, mm -mm. gosh. Yeah, but no, that's a good point. If he wakes up from a dream of his son to see his basically foster son, his adopted son. So for that reason, I think it's it's really a beautiful moment. I do find it interesting that they almost set up the dream sequence to be like a near death vision or whatever, but then they didn't really go anywhere with it. He just wakes up and then they have a conversation. But anyway, yeah. We cut back to Aang's earthbending lesson in the quarry where Katara is trying to weigh in as his other bending teacher. When Aang reasons that maybe he has to approach the boulder from another angle in order to get it work, Toph quickly corrects him, saying, No, that's the problem. You've got to stop thinking like an airbender. There's no different angle, no clever solution, no trickety trick that's going to move that rock. You've got to face it head on. Katara pulls Toph aside and advises her to create a positive teaching experience with lots of praise and encouragement, because this is what Aang responds to most. Toph thanks her and says she'll give it a try. Um, another spoiler, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. Yeah. What's very interesting is take a real world look at this. 
this is very much two different actual schools, no pun intended, but pun is there, of thought of how you teach a kid, right? You could either positive reinforcement or even training a dog too. It's the same idea where it's like they do something right. You praise them. You give them the reward. They do something wrong. You don't react. You just only react to the positive where the other one is you only really react to the negative. So I think the real trick is there's a mid ground in there, pun intended, mid ground in there somewhere. (laughs) And you can kind of like take the best of both worlds, essentially. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. There very much are two different schools of thought with training and teaching. And it, I like seeing the fact that Katara represents one and Toph represents the other because mm-hmm. it creates this natural tension where this new Sifu is coming into the dynamic and putting Aang through his, his paces, like I said before. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to see which one is effective and which one isn't. Um, mm. I also like how Katara is almost like mothering nearby she's like let me get a part of this let me like look over and just see if everything's going okay yeah it's and it's very much in her nature i also like that it's sifu tough but it hasn't been sifu katara yeah yeah (laughs) she's She's like like, wait wait, why why aren't i sifu katara uh by the way everyone at home who's listening and wondering what sifu means uh it means quite literally teacher or master it's a cantonese word yes i learned that today for a long time, I thought that guy's name was just Sifu Kisa. I'm just kidding. I knew it wasn't. His first name was not Sifu. <laughs> That's silly. We then go into a montage, an earthbending training montage, which includes a stone carry, sand punching, whack a rock with Sokka's club, which Tuff literally has to pry out of his hands yes. to give to Aang for the exercise. Yep. We also got some rock armor pushing. My personal favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then to uh, top off the day, we got some kettle rock throwing on top of two large pillars of rock. That just keep on rising. That just keep on rising. And then I also like how Toph every once in a while will do like a sneak attack mm-hmm. to check Aang's stance and make yep. sure that he's strong and stable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Note about the rock armor design. This is interesting. And this actually calls back to something you said in our last episode. In Toph's initial rock armor design, consideration was given to the fact that Toph would only need a breathing hole in the suit since she's blind. Mm. So in the original concept art, it's the same suit, but there was like an opening around her mouth. And so it's Mm. completely covering the rest of her face. But when the scene was animated, the hole was placed over her eyes on accident and the mistake slipped right by the team and made it into the final animation. Oh, how could you? Yeah. Little disappointing, but... If that's the mistakes that's made, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. There could be bigger mistakes. That's true. Yes. Like Toph changing size, which she does a couple times in this episode. Oh, really? At some point, she's eye level with Aang, even though she's supposed to be much shorter than him. I mean, we can just write it off like <laughs> she makes the grounds go sure, up okay. higher so she can yep. be face to face. You know, it's, there we it's go. fine. Headcanon. It's there for those mistakes. <laughs> While the others oversee Aang's training, Sokka goes hunting alone in a small forest near the quarry. Hiding in a tree, he spots a small, cute creature. Sokka casually states that even though the creature is cute, it also happens to be made of meat, which means it's good for eating. Mm-hmm. Once it is close enough, he jumps down from the tree to deliver the killing blow, but falls into a fissure in the ground instead, becoming buried up to his waist in the earth. He tries attacking the creature again, but this causes him to sink even further into the ground. Now, buried up to his neck and deprived of the use of his arms, (laughs) Sokka is unable to do anything but wait. 
And also barter with the universe, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I won't do this. It's like, you liar. We, we've all had those moments, I feel like, though. Yeah. If I can just get through this situation, then I, I promise. Yeah. I promise I'll do this thing. <laughs> and you get out and you go, ah, never mind. Or you do yeah. it for a week. And that's it. Apparently, the image of Sokka getting stuck in a hole was inspired by Tom Hanks in The Money Pit. I haven't seen that movie. I should watch it. I haven't either. I I hear it's very, very funny. I just haven't seen it. And me being a homeowner, it's just like feels like it's a nightmare movie. Yeah. Like a living nightmare. Don't want to go there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Back in Two's In, Iroh explains what lightning is in the practice of firebending. It is a pure form of firebending without aggression, he says. It is not fueled by rage or emotion the way other firebending is. So some call lightning the cold-blooded fire. It is precise and deadly, like Azula. To perform the technique requires peace of mind. Upon hearing this, Zuko connects the practice of drinking tea because it calms the mind. This comment confuses Iroh for a moment, and then he says, Oh yeah, good point. So here's the thing. In the beginning of the episode, Zuko makes the tea for his uncle, right? And it's not good tea. I don't don't know if Iroh's being a snob about it or if it's just genuinely terrible. Either way works for me. Do you think that Iroh just made new tea because now they're drinking it? Yes, 100%. (laughs) I bet he's like, no, nephew, you relax. You've been taking care of me. I got this. I'll (laughs) I'll make some new tea for us. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Iroh continues his lecture outside saying, there's energy all around us. The energy is both yin and yang, positive energy and negative energy. Only a select few firebenders can separate these energies. This creates an imbalance. The energy wants to restore balance, and in the moment the positive and negative energy comes crashing back together, you provide release and guidance, creating lightning. Iroh demonstrates this technique, generating crackling tendrils of lightning around himself before shooting them into the air. Zuko is transfixed and tells his uncle he's ready to try it. So I actually included all of the... The dialogue here, because I find this episode so fascinating. Mm-hmm. First of all, I feel like Iroh's never talked this much outside of maybe the storm when he was sharing Zuko's backstory. But even then we were hearing or seeing his backstory through flashbacks versus Iroh's actual narration. Right. So one, it's really nice to listen to him talk about something. And two, it's fascinating to me to hear like the actual quote unquote, science in this world behind the different forms of bending. Yeah. And the fact that he knows how lightning generation works and can do it himself is just really cool. I I kept on thinking about the three known kinds of Jing that Boomi was talking about during this for some reason. Like, I don't know why, but like he's talking about positive energy and negative energy. And we know that there's is like positive and negative and neutral Jing. Oh man. So I was like, I'm trying to like, I can't quite like piece those all together and get like two plus two equals four, but I feel like the equation is there and I just need to know like what it means. Yeah. Maybe lightning generation can take place in the neutral zone of the two energies. That's like the Maybe. birth of lightning generation. Maybe, but also the fact that Azula can kind of do it and she's not a negative or a neutral individual by any stretch of the imagination. That's actually what's fascinating about it because Iroh was saying you can only generate lightning if you have peace of mind. Like that's super interesting to think about because Mm. Azula is a very chaotic kind of 
individual in that she is very strong opinions and emotions about people and she's kind of vindictive and she's a little sadistic. And so the fact that she is such a master at lightning generation is really interesting. And I almost wonder if it goes back to her training and the whole concept of there's a hair out of place. I wonder if she basically like bulldozed her way through sheer force of will and practiced so much and was a natural prodigy that she was able to enter this almost mindful type of mental space to do it with with everything though there's there's two ways to look at it so with bending bending is an art form in my opinion right it's a, it's a martial arts yeah. it's an art form but there's also a science behind some art forms like if you wanted to talk about like baking as one and i'm just saying that because i started watching john favreau's the chef show so like oh, baking is just on my show. mind right now but like so cooking and baking you can do it very scientifically and measure to the gram and stuff like that or some people just kind of go off of like an instinct or a gut feeling and they just kind of go uh, like a, a tablespoon of salt and yeah, it's put like a couple pinches in more and that seems like it'll be better. I wonder if it's the difference between that where Iroh is more on the art side where he like knows how to make his tea, but he, he doesn't scientifically do it. He just does it like he has a feeling about it versus Azula with her lightning generation is just like she technically knows how to do it. So she can do it because she knows exactly the movements needs to make and how to like channel her her energy, both positive and negative, and not like have a state of mind about it. Yeah, I agree with that because I think also both of those approaches match their personalities too. Yeah, there, there could also be something to be said for what you were saying too, where she's just so determined to do something that she just forces herself to have peace of mind. Yeah, well, I think it goes along with what you were just saying, too, because she is approaching it from a technical perspective. Yeah, so yeah. it's almost like what we were saying about Zhao, actually, and how mm-hmm. it's surprising that Zhao, who doesn't have very much self-control, still at times is able to be patient and wait. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's like, yeah. Most of the villains, except for Ozai so far, have more than one dimension to them, which I really right. appreciate. I do, too. Now, when it comes to lightning generation, Zuko, on the other hand, he has none of that. He's still very much a beginner. Can't actually make the lightning generation work. And it ends up blowing up in his face every time he tries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back in the canyon, Toph decides to change things up a little. She tells Aang that instead of moving a stationary rock, he will instead stop a moving one. If Aang has the attitude of an earthbender, he'll stay in his stance and stop the rock. She blindfolds him after Katara makes a comment about, is this the proper way to teach Aang earthbending? And the whole blindfold thing is definitely something that Aang is not a fan of. Mm -hmm. But Toph goes to the top of the hill to roll a huge boulder down a steep slope towards Aang. Even though Aang can sense it coming, he panics the last second and jumps over the rock. Toph berates him for not having the guts to stop the boulder and calls him a jelly-boned wimp. (laughs) Aang is crushed by her words and Katara tries to console him by offering to work with him on his waterbending some more. It's just kind of like, oh man, come on now. Like, I know, I know. Mama Earthbender's being too tough. Come over with Mama Waterbender. (laughs) And then Toph's like, yeah, go ahead. Splash around in a pool. See if it makes you feel any better. Nerd. Yeah, I love that reaction too. (laughs) And I can just, I love the conflict that the two styles present because I can just imagine Katara being off on the side, like biting her nails, like clenching her teeth, like, oh, I wouldn't approach it like that tough. (laughs) Meanwhile, Zuko is getting increasingly frustrated and complains to his uncle about not being able to generate lightning and how every attempt explodes in his face, just like everything always does. 
that one line oh my god yeah the delivery of dante bosco in that line where he actually sounds like a heartbroken little boy yeah whereas like everything explodes in my face all right go listen to some lincoln park go listen to another track there chief (laughs) he has this very like when things don't go his way in this season he gets this very like and this is one of the few examples we see of it he gets this very like woe is me kind of vibe is what i got off of him where he's just like yelling at the sky and just like i can't do blah, blah, blah. and it's just like all right pal and i understand yeah. the inner turmoil and i can relate to it to an extent as well because i mean he his background is his father doesn't understand him nor does he really like him to begin with and his father figure iroh doesn't quite understand him, but at least is there for him and is supportive and tries to like get through to him. But like, I think right now Zuko is probably what 16, 17 at this point. Uh, 16, I think 16 ish. I, I wonder when he crosses the 17 threshold, maybe next season, maybe next season. But anyways, um, so he, he's, he's a teenager. So he's going to have that like, woe is me kind of thing. And the world's against me and everything is against me. And like, this is just the worst thing to ever happen to me for every little minor obstacle that gets in his way. And this reminded me of that. Yeah. Which is basically what all of us say when we're just super frustrated yeah, and over true. everything and just like, why can't this work? Because it actually goes against what he said in the cave about how he has always had to struggle and his struggling has made him strong. I actually think it's been a while since he's had to learn something new. And so he's just like at the point where he's like, why can't I get this to work? Yeah. Yeah. But so everyone has these thoughts, but the differences with me, Acorn, it's true. The world is just against me. So. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle understands why this is not working. Zuko will not be able to master lightning until he has dealt with the turmoil inside him. He must let go of his feelings of shame in order for his anger to go away and to achieve the peace of mind he needs in order to generate lightning. Zuko bites back about having no shame. He's as proud as ever. Prince Zuko, Iroh explains, pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility is the only antidote to shame. Which, wow, talk about Mm. an amazing true lesson. I know. Jeez. I love that line. Well, I like that. Zuko does like the yeah yeah I know I know like this is what I need to do and Iroh's like no you're an idiot that is not it's like what are you talking about and he, he yeah. just like delivers this just like classic Iroh one-liner where you know he's just like true humility is what you need you don't need pride or whatever you don't need your honor you need humility is what you need yeah yeah Zuko's like ah yeah shame no I'm I'm as proud as ever I'm you know yeah. out to regain my honor But yeah, Iroh comes back with, no, it's not about having pride or not. Pride is not the opposite of shame. It's its source. So when we feel shameful, we feel prideful because we're trying to make up for uh, what we lack. Yes. Yeah. I also wonder, so in Zuko alone, the whole point of that episode for Zuko was to remember who he was, remember where he came from, remember what he represents And that was based off of his mother's words, right? Like he remembers his mother's words of being like, always remember who you are. You are Zuko. And he kind of misinterpreted that, I think, where Zuko at that point in his life was kind of humble. Like he didn't really have a lot of pride to him. He was always hanging out with his mom and like, you know, they had a really good relationship and that's not what he remembers. But I think that might have been what she's referring to as well is remember who you are. Don't forget who you are in this moment. And then he 
goes on this life that has just not been easy for him in any way, even though I just gave him crap for thinking that his life is hard. But <laughs> it, genuinely, it hasn't like, I mean, sometimes it's pretty easy on him, but he's had a very interesting kind of lifestyle in life. So that's gotten twisted and warped. And now he's like, I am Zuko, prince of this, and I have pride. And Iroh's like, that's not what you need. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Not the lesson he's trying to impart. Or the lesson that he, like Zuko should never be, say pride is the best thing you can have. It's not. It's one of the seven deadly sins. (laughs) Iroh kind of helps him feel better by offering to show Zuko another firebending move that even Azula doesn't know. And this makes Zuko smile. Ooh. While all of this is going on, the cute little creature that Sokka was initially hunting who he has now called Fufu Cuddly Poops. Nice, nice. Has bonded with Sokka and has decided to curl up on his head. Sokka explains the natural order of things and how big things eat smaller things. So his hunting this little creature is nothing personal. Sokka comes to terms with the situation, however, and promises a vegetarian existence if he can get out of the situation alive. Fufu Cuddly Poops jumps off of Sokka's head and brings him back an apple, which Sokka takes as a sign his karma is already paying off. I love that he's like, all right, I can't reach this apple. And he somehow gets his boomerang out of his backpack <laughs> in front of, or like technically behind the apple. And he's like, all right, boomerang, now come back. It's yes. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, after like at the end of every scene with Sokka and Fufu Cuddly Poops, Fufu Cuddly Poops will like, sit on the ground or like stand there and stare at Sokka and like wag his tail. And yep. it has like this little like weep, 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 weep. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he's on his head. It's so fun. Yeah. It's adorable. I love it. In a marsh, Aang and Katara bend a small mass of water in a circle between each other. Katara reminds Aang that the block he's experiencing can only be temporary and tries to persuade him to face the issue instead of avoiding it. Aang, on the other hand, feels too defeated to even talk about his problem, let alone face it. Katara reasons that Aang may be struggling so much because Earth is his element's natural opposite. That's why it's so hard for him to get the lessons that Toph is teaching him. Katara assures him that he'll eventually figure it out. I read a bit of trivia here, and I don't know if I want to bring it up here or if I want to bring it up in Korra, but I think I can say it without spoiling Korra too much. All right. Where it's in actuality, the block for an avatar isn't the opposite element in which he or she was born in, but rather the opposite element to their personality. So yeah. while the two can be the same, it doesn't necessarily mean it. So in this instance, it works for Aang because Aang is an air nomad and he's really embraced that lifestyle. We talked about this actually um, on the Blind Bandit episode where he just takes off when he wants to or when he's like, not feeling confident or whatever he just goes with the wind right and Toph stays grounded and she's like where else am i gonna go this is my home this is what happens yeah so naturally it's a different ideology than what he personally has but if ang didn't have that or let's say like a a fire nation avatar let's say like roku he's very strict but he seems like he can kind of go with the flow maybe a little bit i don't know i don't know too much about roku but if if he could, he would have an easier time embracing water and air, but maybe a more difficult time embracing earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I agree with that. And I can absolutely see where Katara would pick up on the elements, natural opposite concept, because yeah. it kind of goes in line with what you were saying about how it is 
more based on personality. And I would say it's just like basic psychology, because if you are a timid, quiet person, it's going to be especially difficult for you to, let's say, deliver a speech in front of a group of people, because that's opposite to the behavior that you're typically familiar with or that you typically exhibit. So same concept with bending. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So obviously Katara doesn't know this because she's never met an avatar before. And so she's just like piecing it all together. But she was like this close. She was just like so, so close, which is impressive. She's on the right track. Yeah. In leading up to the move that Iroh said he would teach Suko, Iroh explains the qualities of the four nations while drawing each nation's symbol in the dirt. Fire is the element of power. The people of the Fire Nation have desire and will and the energy to drive and achieve what they want. Earth is the element of substance. The people of the Earth Kingdom are diverse and strong. They are persistent and enduring. Air is the element of freedom. The air nomads detached themselves from worldly concerns and found peace and freedom. Also, they apparently had pretty good senses of humor. Gyatso! That was such a great nod to Gyatso. So good. I I really wish that Iroh could have met Gyatso. I was just thinking that. Talk about our discussion from last episode, how it was so satisfying to have Toph and Iroh meet and have a conversation. Yeah. I feel the same way about Iroh and Gyatso. I wish they were able to meet. I wanted to see that. I know. That's so heartbreaking. I just want to just someone make that, please. Just like make it canon. So Mike and Brian, <laughs> if you listen, you should make that happen for me. Thank you. Love, yeah. Greg. Or if there's anyone who, like Rough Tune, who created the Water Tribe oh, comic yeah. about Zhao, if anyone out there likes to comic or storyboard or whatever, that would be super cool to see. Playing a game of pie show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That would, be so I, cool. that would be a game of the century. It I would, would want to see that. Yeah. Water is the element of change. The people of the Water Tribe are capable of adapting to many things. They have a deep sense of community and love that holds them together through anything. It is important to draw wisdom from many different places, Iroh says. If you take it from only one place, it becomes rigid and stale. Understanding others, the other elements, and the other nations will help you become whole. This is such a cool scene and again, I'm going back to what I was saying about how I love the fact that Iroh is talking so much and sharing all of this wisdom that yeah. he's picked up in his travels and in his life. What he just said at the end there, I do want to call up something that I learned, uh, I think it was last year. There actually were some studies that were conducted around diversity and the synergy of a team and the success of a product. And they found that the more diverse a group is, the more likely they are to stay away from groupthink Hmm. and the more likely they are to have a successful product. Because typically, if you have a team of similar people who came from the same walk of life, it's going to be harder for them to pick out potential issues or to contest ideas. And as a result, you get kind of a weaker result because you don't have the diverse thought that goes into creating things. Yeah, I believe it. Also, when I heard the speech, I thought Avatar Iroh, question mark. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, like think about Iroh as we know him at this point. He has some connection to the spirit world and he's mastered the ideology of the four different elements on his own. Okay. It's absurd. New headcanon. 
Aang's been gone for a hundred years. There's a camp of people. It doesn't. Who, I did the math. It doesn't work. What? If you're thinking that if Aang actually didn't, I'm jumping a gun, and you're probably not even saying this, and I'm cutting you off for no apparent reason, which is what no, I go do. Go for it. Let me see. Let but me see. If I was thinking, if what you're thinking was I was thinking, and is that if Aang didn't disappear for a hundred years, Iroh may be the Avatar, but no, because the Avatar would have still been Water Tribe. Because, oh, man. because the, the way the cycles work, right? It goes, Korra is after Aang. So yep. it goes air, water, earth, fire. Because Roku was the one before Aang. Yep. So. Rap. You are so right. You could have at best gotten to earth from there. Yeah. Assuming that a UA, who is the, I'm going to say the common fan theory, because it's the only yeah. one that I've heard, as being the next avatar. If she if she died at it. like yeah. she would have had to die like actually no she wouldn't have even been it it would have been someone else well they were saying like if Aang died but that would have been a hundred years ago so it wouldn't have been UA anyway so the math doesn't line up on that any regardless yeah exactly so, so you would have gotten even if you got an avatar dying at the age of 40, 30 or forty that still wouldn't line up for Iroh's age. Because you would have had to go through two generations, unless someone just dies as a child, which doesn't seem yeah. likely, <laughs> to be honest. Man, that sucks. I know. I'm like, I wrote for president. I wrote for I Avatar. That was me. <laughs> like, literally, I was jumping on that. I was like, oh, my God, what if Iroh was supposed to be the Avatar in this lifetime? And that's why he can do all this stuff so cool. That's why he's so amazing. But no, it just the math doesn't line up. Unfortunately. Oh, man. Yeah. Unless you want a child to die, which I hope no one does. No, that would be dreadful. Oh, man. Well, oh, well. Yeah. So there is a theory, though, that Iroh would have been one of the companions to the Avatar in his lifetime. Okay. So that that's kind of that is a so maybe that's why maybe he can grasp this so well and easily. I don't know. Or he yeah. could just be smart in his own right and not have anything to do with the Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> or we're like totally blowing his yeah. wisdom and abilities out of proportion and to Avatar levels. <laughs> yeah. He's just a good guy and he's really smart and wise and he doesn't need to be connected to the Avatar at all. But we yeah. really just want him to be because it's just so yeah. exciting. <laughs> we just want to give Iroh the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's at this point that Iroh reveals that he created his special technique by studying the waterbenders. Hmm. We're going to jump over to the quarry, though, because at sundown, Toph again taunts Aang by abusing his staff and using it as a nutcracker. <laughs> she walks away unopposed by Aang after cracking a bunch of nuts and making Aang cringe very much. Mm -hmm. And Katara arrives worried by the fact that Sokka has not returned yet. Aang and Katara split up to search for him. By this point, Sokka is desperate enough to promise to give up meat and sarcasm in order to escape from the crack in the ground. That's all I got, he tells the universe. It's pretty much my whole identity. Sokka, the meat and sarcasm guy. But I'm willing to be Sokka, the veggies and straight talk fellow. Deal? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. At that moment, he sees Aang coming over the ridge and immediately asks Aang if he has any meat. Really quickly, first of all, Toph using Aang's staff as a, a nutcracker. And he's like, careful, that's an antique handcrafted. And Aang has been like whacking people over the head with it and throwing it into the sky and like yep. generally just abusing it. <laughs> Doing so much worse with his yeah. own staff. Yes. Then just cracking open nuts, which is pretty funny. And um, I just love that Sokka was just like, I'll redefine myself as a human. And no one is buying that for a second. Nope. <laughs> nope. 
I think it's a great nod to what we sometimes do as as people where yeah. we we think these grandiose thoughts that we have actually no intention of falling through on. Yeah, for sure. Aang attempts to use his airbending to free Sokka from the ground, but it proves to be ineffective. Sokka then tells him to use earthbending, but Aang still doesn't know how. Well, if you can't earthbend me out of here, go get Toph, Sokka says. Aang replies that he can't do that either, referring to the fight that he had with Toph because it would be uncomfortable. Sokka, in his infinite sarcasm, says, Uncomfortable? Well, I wouldn't want you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> From the ground. Mm-hmm. Aang doesn't pick up on the sarcasm, however, and says thanks. He goes on to describe his own situation with earthbending and in Toph and his own confidence, using verbiage that directly refers to Sokka's situation. And Sokka continues to reply with dry, patient sarcasm. Fufu Cuddly Poops returns and Aang identifies the little critter as a saber-toothed moose lion cub. Really? He looks nothing like a saber-toothed moose lion, says Sokka. It's hard to tell before their giant teeth and horns grow in. What are you doing here, little guy? Did you lose your mama? At this point, a deafening roar answers. I think it's kind of funny. He's like, this doesn't look like a thing. And then you see the mama and the mama looks exactly like the little thing, just bigger with horns and slightly larger teeth. Yeah, just, you know, missing the teeth and the horns. (laughs) So cute. Also, mm. really creative hybrid animal there. I love the fact that it's a moose and a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. That's such a cool combo. Yeah. I wonder if Mike and Brian or, or you know, any of the writers just have like a dartboard of animals. So they just like throw darts <laughs> randomly and whatever two it lands on is just that's what it is and they combine it. I wonder if it got to that point. Sometimes I look at these hybrids and it's the only thing I can think of is just like you span around a circle, you got you got dizzy and threw some darts <laughs> and saw what happened. And then you send it over to the animators and say, and go. (laughs) (laughs) Back with Iroh and Zuko, Iroh continues his explanation of the move that he created after watching the waterbenders, saying, waterbenders deal with the flow of energy. A waterbender lets their defense become their offense, turning their opponent's energy against them. I learned a way to do this with lightning. Zuko, by the way, is thrilled to hear this and is even more eager to learn. Iroh shows him the route the lightning must take in one's body in order to be redirected safely, emphasizing that the lightning will follow the flow of the body's energy, and he mirrors this path with his arms, fingers tracing down one arm to the stomach, up the other arm, and then to be released. Uncle and nephew practice this motion for some time until Zuko feels confident and tells his uncle he's ready to try it with real lightning. What, are you crazy? (laughs) Lightning is very dangerous, Iroh tells him. And Zuko's like, wait, what? I thought that was the whole point. (laughs) Zuko's just like, you're going to shoot lightning at me, right? Right? And I was like, what are you, nuts? (laughs) No way, Jose. (laughs) And then Zuko gets mad. (laughs) Yeah, Zuko is so mad that his Mm -hmm. uncle won't shoot lightning at him. Yeah. Iroh, though, is like, I'm only showing this to you just in case. Hopefully you'll never have to use this technique. But if you do get shot with lightning, you'll know what to do now. Quick headcanon thing. Yeah. Do you think we saw Iroh invent this technique back in book one on the storm? So on the storm at the end, everyone is on the ship and lightning is striking. And then Iroh redirects the lightning from the skies away from the ship, kind of saving the day. And he looks very, and I even made the pun, he looks very shocked that he did that and that it worked. Oh my God, so I, I think you're right. I think he like maybe was working on it for a while, but like he only got to put it into practice in book one. I subscribe to that. Yes, 
Okay. I remember you saying also that he had a shocked expression, which I thought was weird and thought it was almost like a flub yeah. on the, the animator's part. But if he had that thought in his head for a while and that was the first time he was able to try it, to put mm-hmm. it into practice, it would make complete sense if he was shocked and like, be like, whoa, that worked. <laughs> yeah. Like, whoa, that actually worked. My crazy scheme paid off. <laughs> I'm not dead. This is great. Yeah. I also think that he's not afraid of dying either because he's been to the spirit no. world or has some connection to it. I agree. I yeah. think he's pretty much at peace with life. And yeah. he's, I think that's the thing, the thing about Iroh and his character is he's like, he's talking about in this scene, he's seen so much of the world. He's seen so much of the cultures and he's even been to the spirit world. So I think after experiencing all of that and being at the age that he is he's almost reached this zen peace with life and existence to where he wouldn't be upset if he died and also as we've seen in this episode he's looking forward to being with his son again yeah for sure we're gonna cut back over to ang and Sokka and this very angry mother saber-tooth moose lion who is charging at the two boys Aang has to use his airbending to keep the beast from harming Sokka. And Sokka pleads for Aang to use earthbending to just get him out of the ground already. But when Aang tries, nothing happens. Aang eventually has to hold his ground and use more airbending to blast the animal into the bushes, where it then loses interest in the two humans and disappears. Toph announces her presence on a nearby rock by slowly clapping. It makes it known that she's been there watching the conflict for a while. This angers Aang, and he demands that she returns his staff. This is what Toph has been waiting for. Do it now. Earthbend, Twinkletoes. You just stood your ground against a crazy beast. And even more impressive, you stood your ground against me. You got the stuff. Aang performs the first move she showed him, but this time successfully. The boulder he strikes slams into the canyon wall. When he goes to free Sokka, however, Toph stops him and drags the older boy out of the earth herself. Two things, again, one, if I could rewrite any line in Avatar, it would be this one where she says, you stood your ground against a crazy beast and more impressively against me. I would have loved if she said, you stood your ground against a crazy beast and whatever. A saber tooth moose moose lion. lion. That would have been hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. I also like how I was like, all right, let me get Sokka out of the ground. And I was like, ah, you might crush him alive. I think I should probably do this for (laughs) you. Yeah. Like he moves one boulder with one yeah. move and he's like, all right, I can do anything. <laughs> and I love how um, when Toph gets him, like she does like one stomp and he rises up out of the dirt a little bit and she grabs him by the hair and just like pulls him out of the and then ground. Pulls him right out. <laughs> it was like a cork almost. Yeah. Just loosens it a little bit and then just bloop. I love it. Mm. When they reunite with Katara back at camp, Sokka begins to tell his sister about the deep existential realization he had while trapped in the ground. But Aang interrupts him when he tells Katara to watch what he can do with earthbending. Hey! Katara turns to Toph and says, you tried the positive reinforcement, didn't you? Yep, Toph replies, it worked wonders. And Sokka never gets to finish what he was saying. (laughs) Whatever great existential realization Sokka had... We do not get to hear it. And Sokka probably already forgot about it. Yeah, he was probably like, eh, whatever. Let's go eat meat. Let's go have some meat and say witty, sarcastic things all night. (laughs) In our last scene, on a far off hill in the middle of a storm, Zuko stands against the wind and rain and lightning and screams at the sky. 
You've always thrown everything you could at me. Well, I can take it now and I can give it back. Come on, strike me. You've never held back before. He waits for the heavens to open up and for lightning to come arcing through the sky at him, but the storm pays him no heed and the young prince yells wordlessly in frustration, tears streaming down his face as he sinks to the ground. And another Linkin Park moment for Zuko. Yes. <laughs> yes. This, this scene, so first of all, we don't get many episodes that end on like a downer. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a downer. Yeah. But also, I'm glad they did it because it's really picking up on the things that we've talked about Zuko's character in the past. Yeah. How he is so driven to reach his goal no matter what it is, even from capturing the avatar to learning a new form of firebending to even getting his way in how he wants to practice that new form. He is so driven. But then also we see underneath all of this, his raw pain, shame, and heartache over his lot in life and how he feels yeah. like he's been basically pulling the short straw his whole life. He's He feels like the universe has been against him for so long that he just expects the universe to keep dishing out the same treatment. But then this time it doesn't, which in a weird way is just like the universe messing with him as it has this whole time. Yeah. Usually he goes up against some sort of adversity or adversary and he succeeds eventually. The exception has been Aang the whole time. So I can see where he gets frustrated with the Avatar because that's the only thing he's ever really failed at other than failing to fight and kill his father, I guess, which I guess is not a bad thing to fail at. In the Agni Kai, you mean? Yeah, in the Agni Kai. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how Zuko is dealing with failure um, when he can control the outcome and he's still failing. Yeah. And this is why we love Zuko so much, because we're able to stare into the deep, dark places in his heart and his psyche, and we can relate to it because it's human. Mm -hmm. But that is our episode. Hey, we made it. Bitter work. Yes. Which... I learned Mm -hmm. the title refers to both Aang training with earthbending and Zuko training with lightning. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. But Roku refers to his training in the element opposite to his as bitter work in a previous episode. And in an Avatar Spirit interview, Sifu Kisu refers to martial arts training in the old school Chinese tradition as bitter work. I also read somewhere and take this with a grain of salt because I did not do any fact checking, but I thought it was interesting that uh, the characters for Kung Fu can closely translate to the word bitter work. Right. I stumbled across that too. And I'm curious, seeing as we are not native speakers, we can't fact check that. And I didn't look into it myself either. Mm. But if they do, then that's just another tie to, I guess, what Sifu Kisu was saying about martial arts and the training of it. Yeah. And if it's not, the internet lied for once in existence. (laughs) The first and only time ever. That's it. Another small little note is when Aang is trying to distract the Sabretooth Moose Lion Mom. Mm-hmm. He does this like slapsticky, like weird dance yeah, yeah. up on a rock. Yeah. That's the same dance he did in the deserter on stage at the Fire Festival. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about MVP. Mm-hmm. Greg, who was your MVP of this episode? Uh, for the second week in a row, it's going to be Iroh again for like not only teaching Zuko just lightning generation but also teaching him lightning redirection and understanding all of the elements enough to be able to talk about them in a concise sentence or two yeah he broke down the the four nations like 
a freaking professor who studies this avatar world and knowing the air nomad culture well enough which shows that he did research yes to know that some of them were a bunch of just goofballs and tricksters and stuff like that which is pretty funny because like you got to figure i don't know if the air nomads were around during his lifetime or much into his lifetime because we don't i don't remember if we ever find out when at least the southern air temple was taken down or the northern we just know it was within the hundred years and iroh's probably 50 or 60 maybe yeah i'd say probably 60 or so yeah so he definitely had to have studied it somewhere yeah yeah i gotta agree with you it's iroh Mm -hmm. it's gotta be iroh Mm -hmm. he is just an endless source of wisdom and guidance and i mean we wanted to nominate him as avatar of the century (laughs) honorary avatar iroh yep (laughs) let's just like rewrite how time works so iroh could be the avatar there you go. That's as far as that. I want to go. <laughs> I honestly really wanted, I was looking for someone else to make the MVP, but I just, I can't honestly say it's someone else. Yeah. In this episode, I think Iroh just stands so much apart from the rest of the characters. It's just got to be him. Yeah, for sure. You know, Iroh's going to win MVP of the series. By the I mean, it could, could also be tough. We're going. Could also be That's tough. True. We don't know. Tough, Zuko or Iroh. I'm calling my bets now. I feel like it's going to be Iroh or Toph. I have that feeling, but we'll see. We'll see. What about your moral of the episode? Um, I think my moral of the episode is I can't get it down to a concise, snappy one-liner, but the fact that Iroh took the time to learn about all the different bending and their cultures behind it is just, it's got to, there's got to be a moral behind that where it's like, in order to better yourself, you have to learn about everyone else. I got you because yeah. that was essentially what my moral of the story was okay. going to be. And that's diversity is strength. And never barter with karma because karma knows you're lying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> good try, Sokka. Good try. Yeah, good try. All right. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank mm-hmm. you for joining us for Thank another you. exciting episode of Avatar the Podcast. Yeah. Remember, if you're caught up on all of the episodes, you can always join me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg, where we play games on Mondays and Fridays. And now that may or may not be changing. We'll find out. But if you uh, find me on the Twitter and all that good stuff, or even if you just follow the channel right now, uh, you'll get a notification when we go live. Yeah. And you can find me over on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and over on my website, joysons.com, where you can find some really cool nerdy enamel pins. Mm-hmm. And if you prefer Etsy, you can also find me over there at Joyson Studio. Yeah. Coming up next time. The price of knowledge. And top sinking feeling. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.